Obviously can't cover um, 11 chapters in its entirety, but what we're going to look at is kind of some global themes. When we look at the first 11 books, Genesis is kind of divided into two sections. You see the first 11 chapters of Genesis, and then really from chapter 12 on through the end of the book of Genesis, really starts focusing on the life of Abraham and his descendants all the way uh, through Joseph, and it ends in Joseph. But there is kind of a, a whole uh, theme in those first 11 chapters that really talks about the origins of man all the way up through Abraham. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. I do appreciate the church inviting me and for the opportunity to come. Just to really appreciate your all's hospitality. It's always just a blessing coming here and and preaching to you all. And I thank you for for having us back once again. Um, But in Genesis, Mark Dever, he writes this about the book of Genesis. He says, the story of the book of Genesis is the story of beginnings. And that is absolutely right. It is the story of beginnings. And there's many beginnings uh, that you find in Genesis. Genesis is the beginning of the Old Testament. Um, It's the beginning of the entire Bible. It discusses the beginning of time, space, and matter. It talks about the beginning of the human race. Uh, Genesis also contains the initial kernel of the gospel as well in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. Um, and this promise was given to Abraham and I mean Abraham, Adam and Eve uh, after they had sinned in the garden. And we see a cycle repeated over and over again in these initial chapters of Genesis. And this, it's a, a wonderful promise, God giving man a wonderful opportunity, then man ruining his opportunity through sin, but then God extending grace. Um, and that is repeated again and again, as we'll see as we look into the, these chapters in Genesis. You know, in, in Genesis, God gives perfection in the Garden of Eden. And what God calls very good. Then Adam and Eve sin. And God gives grace, extending the hope of a Redeemer and allowing Adam and Eve to continue on the human race. Then Cain Um, their very first sons, Cain and Abel. Cain murders Abel, but God gives grace to Cain by placing a mark on him. Mankind continues to sin, and ultimately God judges mankind with a global devastating flood. But yet Noah finds grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah's godly family is the only people left on the entire face of the planet. Yet Noah sins by getting drunk and uncovering himself in his tent. And then Noah's descendants continue their descent into sin, um, culminating in the Tower of Babel where God's judgment comes, um, the people are scattered, and the languages are confounded. And after this first section, then God shifts his focus to Abraham, God's covenant to him and his descendants, and begins to bring into view God's redemptive plan for mankind that's then carried out through the rest of the Old Testament and on into the New Testament. So we're going to look at some, some highlights from, from Genesis chapter 1. In, in chapter 1 and verse 1, as we read earlier, it says, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. And in this, these first six literal days, God creates the entire world. That word day, when it says the evening and the morning were the first day, that's talking about a little, literal 24-hour period of time. It can't be interpreted any other way. Um, people try to twist those words, but when you start twisting God's word, the whole argument just really falls apart. I wish we had time just to get into that and talk about the day and what that means and how it's a test with them. We don't have time to do that. But on day one, God creates earth and light. On day two, he creates the sea and the atmosphere. Day three, he creates dry land and plants. 
And on day four, he creates the sun, moon, stars, and planets. Day five, he creates birds and fish. And day six, he creates animals and man. And if you kind of look at days one, two, and three, and then four, five, and six, you'll see he creates earth and earth and uh, light, and then he creates the light bearers and the planets. On day two, he creates um, the sea and the atmosphere. Day five, he creates the fish and the birds that inhabit the sky and the atmosphere. Day three, he creates dry land, and he creates all the animals and humans that inhabit the dry land. God does everything perfect. He's a God of order. He's a God of trinities. And um, it's just wonderful looking at his, his creation. Then on day seven, God rests, um, giving a cessation of creation and giving to man the pattern of the week and also giving man a pattern for weekly rest. Uh, if, you, if you look at the idea of a seven-day pattern, that only place that it's really found is in Scripture. There's no, you don't have stars and moons and things like that that are pointing to that. If you look at the year that's the earth's revolution around the sun. If you look at the moon, it, it's revolution around the earth. It gives us the, the month approximately. And then also when you look at the revolution of the earth on its axis, um, then that, that's where we get our day from. And, but, but the week doesn't have any parallel except in God's word. We see God gave us the week right here. Six days to work, the seventh day to rest. Then let's look over in chapter 2. In, in chapter 2, And let's read verse 7. And in verse 7 of Genesis chapter 2 it says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. So here on day 2, God gives additional details of the creation of man. Um, He also discusses the naming of the animals, the forming of woman, um, God giving man his only commandment, which was to not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Um, God also institutes marriage in, in chapter 2. Uh, I think it's interesting if you note here that it talks about um, a man leaving his father and mother and cleaving to his wife. And there weren't any mothers and fathers at this point. God had just created Adam and Eve. They didn't have any a mother or father. It's kind of weird to think about. Um, but God institutes that plan of marriage, showing that he, he has a plan for this in the succeeding generations. And then in Genesis chapter 3, um, sin enters in. And in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1, let's read. It says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of the tree of the garden? And here, shortly after creation, we don't know precisely how long, but Satan in the form of a serpent approaches and tempts the woman. He goes around God's order. of Instead of talking to the man, he goes to the woman directly and, and talks to her questions and begins to cast doubt on what God said. He also focuses the woman on the restrictions that God has placed on her rather than all the freedom that God gives. Sometimes people you know, always want to focus on the negative side of it. God said, of all the trees of the garden, you can freely eat except one. But yet Satan once said, folks, oh, well, you just can't eat of this one tree. Isn't God holding back from you? Eve looks at the fruit. She considers what Satan says. She's tempted by the appeal. The the sin was very appealing. It was very beautiful to look at. Um, She also considered what she thought that the fruit could do for her. And she ate of the fruit, completely disobeying God's instructions. 
And, and the thing to remember, even as we talk about this, you know, sin is appealing. Anybody who tells you sin is not appealing is an absolute liar. If, if, if sin was not appealing at some level, we wouldn't do it. The reason why we have to be on guard, we have to be vigilant, because, because sin is attractive. There's pleasure for sin for a season, but the ends of sin is death and destruction. And, and we see even that played out um, here in Genesis chapter 3 and on through man's disobedience to God throughout Scripture. After this happens, after um, Eve eats, she passes the fruit over to her husband. The man was not tempted to sin, but he ate of the fruit anyway, directly disobeying God's commandment not to eat of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. Their eyes were opened, but it was not in a way that they expected. They now knew evil on a personal basis. They were evil because of their disobedience to God. You know, it's interesting. My wife uh, showed me a, a post President Trump um, posted about COVID-19. He said, um, just paraphrasing, he said, no, I went to school on COVID. I know, I know a lot of things about COVID that I didn't know before. Because why? Because he has it. And, and just like someone who's experienced disease, you could know all about it. You could read and write lots of papers on it like doctors do about different diseases. But until you experience that on a personal basis, that is how Adam and Eve now understood sin. They were naked. They felt ashamed of it. They tried to cover themselves. They hid from God. And God came looking for the man and the woman. God confronted them directly by asking them, you know, why that they knew that they were naked and why were they, they hiding from God? And, um, and they, he asked them if they broke the, his commandment by eating the tree that he commanded them not to eat of. But rather than admitting their sin, rather than confessing to God, well, man says, well, the woman you gave me. And then Eve said, you know, the serpent. But God judges the serpent God judges the woman, God judges the man, and within Genesis chapter 3, we also see a great promise in verse 15, in the judgment there is hope, and let's look at that in verse 15 of chapter 3, it says, and I will put enmity between thee and the woman, speaking of the serpent and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, it shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. And this idea is the coming promise of of a man, the Messiah, who would crush the head of Satan. That that in there is just the initial kernel of that there's going to be one coming that's going to be the seed of the woman that's going to defeat Satan. And God then makes coverings of skin for Adam and Eve and sends them out of the garden to till the cursed ground. And from there, that leads us to chapter 4. In chapter 4, let's read verse 8. And Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him. After being cast out of the garden, um, God keeps his promise to Eve that she would be the mother of all living. She, She conceives the second generation from Adam then begins, and Scripture records the birth of Cain and Abel. Um, we know there's other children born to Adam and Eve, but that God kind of focuses in on these two. Cain was a farmer. Abel was a shepherd. And both siblings, as we know the story, hopefully brought offerings to the Lord. 
God was pleased with Abel's offering, but he rejected Cain's offering. And and comes to Cain and confronts him about this issue um, because of Cain's anger against God. And God gives him an opportunity to repent. But rather than Cain repenting of his sin, getting it right, God says if you, if you bring the right offering, you're going to be accepted. And, and, and God was giving grace. He wasn't being mean to, to Cain in any way. But rather than repent, he strikes out in anger at his brother. He wasn't angry at his brother. He was angry at God. He was mad at God. But sometimes we, we understand we can't lash out and do anything to God. But sometimes we end up hurting the people around us when we're just only angry at God. And it kind of reminds me of the quote that, that says, hurt people hurt people. And, um, and unfortunately, many times that's true when we get hurt. Um, and many times it's our problems actually with God, but we end up lashing out and hurting the people around us. Though Cain slew his brother, now Cain's worried that because of the judgment of God, someone's going to kill him. He just killed his brother. Now he said, God, this isn't fair. You're casting me out. Somebody could come and kill me. It's like, well, that's exactly what you did, Cain. But yet God is so gracious to Cain, even in his unrepentant state, God places a mark on Cain um, so that those that are looking for him, they will not kill him. And and that's just another example of God's grace to Cain, giving Cain further opportunity to repent. As, As Scripture records, we don't see any record of Cain ever repenting. And we see this borne out in his line and in his descendants. Uh, Cain's descendants begin a line of people and generations of people who never reconcile themselves back to God, never worship God, never follow God. Um, it, it, it shows that they were very technologically sophisticated. They were working in bronze and iron. They were musicians. They were farmers. They were doing all these kinds of sophisticated things well, well before, you know, uh, historians and archaeologists say that, that men were doing these types of things. But in chapter 4, ends with hope because of another son that is born to Adam and Eve, and his name is Seth. And with Seth's son, men begin to call on the name of the Lord. We're going to skip over chapter 5 with the generations. There's a lot of good stuff there, but we're going to look at chapter 6 and the flood. Let's look at verse 5 of Genesis chapter 6. And it says, And God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, and the creeping thing, and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. You know, society continues. Many generations pass on from, um, from Adam and Eve. And over 1,500 years pass up until this time. So, so the long period of time has elapsed since uh, God created Adam and Eve. And it says, though, in verse 5 of chapter 6, that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and every thought of the imagination of his heart was only evil continually. I, I, it's hard for me to wrap my brain around that statement, it, that every thought was only evil. Um, I, it, it shows um, just how dark the time that Noah lives in. I, I believe we live in dark times. I don't feel 
that we're, we're getting close to that, but I don't feel like we're there in, in Noah's day quite yet. At the, every thought. I, I'd like to think at least that there's a few good thoughts floating around out there yet. But God tells Noah that he is going to give 120 years. He gives man space to repent. And God tells Noah that he will judge the earth and mankind and destroy them with the flood. God gives Noah instructions to build an ark that will save two of every land creature, seven of, of some of the clean creatures, and Noah and his family. And I love the, the thing that it says here um, in chapter 6 that all that God commanded Noah, that's precisely what he did. And we don't see Noah hardly say any words at all in the whole life of Noah. But one thing you do find recorded about Noah, he was a man of great obedience. And he followed God's commandments. Uh, God commanded Noah and his family with their supplies and the animals to enter the ark. And it says that the Lord shut them in. And then the flood begins. It rains 40 days and 40 nights. The entire earth cracks open. The fountains of the deep. It's not just rain coming from the air, but water from inside the earth begins to come and flood the earth. And it destroys the earth with a terrible cataclysmic flood. This is a global flood. This is not a localized flood. Um, and, and because of the, the magma that's being produced, because of the water that's flowing into the magma, creating great steam, even more water is being injected into the atmosphere, causing that much more rain. And it says that um, the entire earth, 15 cubits above the highest mountains, was covered with water. Now, these aren't the same mountains that we see today. We know that the earth was uh, changed greatly during the flood. But during the mountains of, of Noah's day, um, every single one of them, 15 cubits, which is about you know 30-some-odd feet, um, a little less than 30 feet above them, was covered. And the only thing remaining, the only air-breathing creatures that remained were those in the ark. Everything else was completely destroyed. And the world that they lived in was forever changed. You know, Noah and his family were in the ark slightly over a year. So imagine that, being in an ark entire year, you finally come out of the ark and the world that you knew is gone. It's a completely different world. The world has been cataclysmically changed. And God starts off with a, a godly family once again, a godly man, Noah, his wife, their three sons, and, and starts things back over. And God makes a covenant with Noah that he would never destroy the earth again in a flood. He also commands Noah and his sons to be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. But after the flood, Noah grows a vineyard. He gets drunk, and he's naked in his tent. And Ham, rather than dealing with the situation... Um, chooses to tell his brothers about it instead. The entire situation is extremely shameful, but it confirms exactly what uh, God says in Genesis chapter 8. and the end of verse 21, um, it, it says this. For the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. And that is exactly right. Man is evil from our youth even after um, man had seen the great judgment of sin we've got a propensity to sin and even once we're saved we still deal with our sin nature that it is just part of us um, but noah lives 350 years just imagine this now noah lives 350 years after the flood and dies two years before the birth of abraham so when you think about you know history and chronology and things like that 
there were generations of people that could go back and they could talk to Noah himself about what life was like before the flood. If you look at the overlapping generations, it's incredible. It only takes four or five generations all the way from Adam all the way down to Abraham to be able to speak firsthand to each other with the fact that people were living such long lives, eight and nine hundred years long. Now let's, let's look over to, to Genesis chapter 11 now. Genesis chapter 11, and let's read verse 4. And it says this, and, and they said, Go to, let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven, and let us make us a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. Now, if I recall correctly, God told Noah that they were to be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. And now we see something diametrically opposed to that, which is, let's all stay together. Let's, let's don't be scattered across the earth. And civilization continues from the descendants of Noah and his three sons. And although the earth once started again with a righteous man, Noah, the sinfulness of man, continues his pathway away from God. And, and it, I think it also underscores the importance of us training our children to pass a godly heritage to the next generation. And also the difficulty of passing on that godly heritage to the next generation as well. I mean, I, I think Noah did instruct his sons. And, and I, I feel like you know, Noah's sons were righteous too. We don't really hear anything much recorded about them. We see just one very brief snapshot of them. But, but yet... Very quickly, man is straying and, and going far away from God. And rather than replenishing the earth, they conspire to make a name for themselves and oppose the God of heaven. And God comes down from heaven. He confounds their languages and scatters them across the earth. So the consequence for their sin was the exact thing that they were trying to avoid happening. And, and with that, after the events at Babel, mankind is given a hope through a man named Abraham, who God promises this to him, that in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And so this continues the story of redemption that's told throughout the remainder of, the remainder of Scripture and is fulfilled in Jesus Christ in the New Testament. And that is that man who ultimately all the earth is blessed through Jesus Christ in salvation. But as we look at Genesis, we see this cycle. First of all, we see God's plan or God's design. What is that plan? It's for man to live in fellowship and obedience to God. That's exactly what he wanted from Adam and Eve. He gave them one commandment. It was something very simple, just to, just to obey him. And, and one of the incredible things is like, why on earth did God give Adam and Eve a tree? Why didn't he just take away that tree and then everything would be fine? We'd just be living in the garden. We'd still be, everything would be wonderful. Well, if God didn't give Adam and Eve any choices, then they didn't have the ability to choose. There would, no, there would be no opportunity for them to choose to either love or serve God or to disobey Him. And, and it's, it's vitally important that God gave us free will because in that free will, it allows us to be able to choose whether we love. If I force my kids to say, come here and give me a hug or give me a kiss, boy, that's real, it's real special, right? No, it, it's not. And then sometimes we make them do that just to help deal with the little rebellion, rebellion that's in their lives. But how special is it when someone um, 
who doesn't have to, shows that expression of love or care, whether it's your spouse or your child or whoever it is. Man, that's special. That's meaningful because they choose to do that. And, and with that, God gives us that same ability. But the flip side of that is also true. We have the ability to love and, and show our expression of love, but we can also choose to reject and go away from God too. So the, the flip side, and when we do that, there's great consequences. But, but, God's, uh, but in Second P- Peter chapter 3, he writes this about the Lord. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You know, God wants us to repent. God wants us to have a relationship with Him. And that's precisely what God established in the Garden of Eden. God had direct fellowship ship with man. And God created man in a perfect world without death, without sin, without without anything evil. And mankind, we want utopia, right? We think we can bring in utopia on this world. If everybody could just get together and hold hands, if we could get rid of all the nuclear weapons or we could do this or that, then everything would be wonderful, right? We wouldn't have any more problems in our society. Well, Adam and Eve had precisely that in the garden. They had everything perfect. And yet we chose to walk away from God and God's plan. And we were given it. We were given perfection, but we chose something else in our sin. And and that's exactly what happens in the second step that we see in this cycle in Genesis is sin. And sin is what separates man from God. Sin is disobedience to God and His commandments. Even a basic commandment just not to eat of a particular fruit of a particular tree um, we, we can't manage that. We, we've got to choose our own way. God gives us a, a way to live. God gives us a path, and we always want to pick a different plan in opposition to God. Adam sinned, Cain sinned, mankind sinned, and even Noah sinned. And, and in that sin leads us away from God's perfect plan and God's design and brings us to another place which is brokenness or separation from God. And in this brokenness and in this separation um, is where we find all these people in, in the stories that we've just relayed. Adam's sin separated his fellowship from God. He had no longer fellowship with God, walking with God in the garden in the cool of the day. It changed his relationship with his wife as, as equals. Now there was an order that God, God put there. There was going to be strife between the husband and wife. Um, God cursed the entire earth around him. And Cain's sin separated him from God and his fellow man. Noah gets drunk. Mankind, even after direct knowledge of the judgment of God with the flood... And the consequences of that sin chooses to rebel against God and build this giant tower. And, and man tries to find different ways to try to reconcile himself to God. People use good works. People try to be good people. People try to have other things that fill that void. But everything that we try to do ourselves just lead back to that same place of brokenness. We can't establish, reestablish that relationship with God. And as, as we see even with God giving Adam and Eve the coats of skins, the reconciliation that needs to take place needs to be um, initiated on God's behalf. God has to then extend a way for man to be brought back to himself. And in man's brokenness and in this separation that sin leads to, then we find God's grace. And in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 7, it says this, By faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, 
moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, which he condemned by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is by faith. You know, Noah found God's grace, but also he had to extend faith in God and he became the recipient of that righteousness. And though Cain, he never repented of his sin, as the scripture records, God's grace was extended to him. And, and God protected Cain and gave him more opportunity to repent. God gave, even though the sin and the wickedness of the people of Noah's day was so wicked that God had to destroy the entire world, and it was so bad that God even repented that he had made man, God gave them 120 years to repent. God gave them Noah, who, who the scripture records was a preacher of righteousness, who not only was he building the ark, but he was preaching to them how they needed to repent, how God was going to send judgment upon the earth. And, and mankind did not repent. Adam and Eve were allowed to live and continue on the human race. They didn't immediately die. Their spirit inside them died. And their shame was covered um, by God himself. And it shows us the picture that man needs God's grace. Every single one of us need God's grace. You are not good enough. You cannot be good enough yourself. No matter how many old ladies you help across the street, you are not ever going to match up to God's standard of perfection. You need God's grace extended to you. And we cannot meet up to the God standard of very good. We need the righteousness of God through His Son, Jesus Christ. And tonight, I want us to remember this. As we think about Genesis and we think about the message of Genesis, which shows really God's plan for redemption for mankind, man's sinfulness. The, the first thing we need to remember is this, is our sinfulness. Better circumstances, more education, new government programs, better environment, whatever the case may be, it will not fix man's sin problem. It won't do it. No matter how hard we try, we can't make ourselves good enough. Jesus Christ is the only answer. Once we are saved, we still must deal with our sin nature. And I think sometimes once we've trusted Jesus Christ as our Savior, and now we've got a tie on and we wear a, a suit coat or whatever, that we think, whoa, well, we've got all of our sin problems fixed, right? We're, we're good to go. No, we still got to deal with this, this sinful flesh. That person in the mirror... You know, people talk about the world and Satan, and boy, they attribute a lot, a lot of their problems to them. And I'm not doubting that, that Satan is the prince and power of the air, but, you know, our flesh is plenty sinful enough. And we can get ourselves in plenty enough trouble just by ourselves. We have a sin nature that each of us have to deal with. And if you've not believed in Jesus Christ, you must repent of your sin and by faith trust in Jesus Christ to save you from their sin. And as believers, we still must deal with our sin each day. We have to repent of our sin as well. We need to ask for that daily cleansing, not, not for salvation, but that we can maintain the right fellowship with God. We can't just sweep our sin under the rug. We can't just ignore the sin that's in our life that the Holy Spirit convicts us of. We must deal with our sin, and God extends His grace for us to, to be able to have that daily cleansing and, and follow, get away from following our own way, but turn and each day, every morning, Choose to follow Jesus Christ. The second thing we see is not only our sinfulness, but we also see God's grace. And the thing I want you all to remember tonight, there is not a single person that walks the face of the planet that still is breathing air that God's grace does not extend to. God's grace 
is available. God's grace is sufficient to save you from your sin. And God is a God of second, third, fourth, 50th, 100th, 490th chances. God has plenty of chances available. And, and no one is so far gone that they can't, they can't get back to God. They still can't have a relationship with God. You may say, Brother Ben, well, you don't understand what I've done, or you don't know what I've done. I'm, I'm just a lost cause, and I might as well give up. And I've even, I've even talked to Christians who are in that state that were faithfully serving God, but yet have walked away from God and just quit. But yet here they are, still walking the earth, God doesn't just leave people here just to take up space. He has a plan for their lives as well. And if we would only repent, and even that person who thinks that they're so far away from God that God can't do anything with, if you would simply repent, turn from that sin and get back to God and say, God, I just want to follow you every day. I I can't imagine what God would would do with that life if we would only be willing. And I think even, you know, we we can't look back and, and roll back time and change the past, but even looking at the stories in Genesis, if people would have humbly come to God and just repented. All I know is the Ninevites, God, God's told Jonah that yet in 40 days, Nineveh will be overthrown. And guess what those people did? Boy, howdy, they repented. And God took away the judgment, so much so that Jonah was mad about it. Jonah was mad that they, God so thoroughly took away the judgment away. But that shows what a God of grace is and what grace God will extend to people who, who Jonah said, man, these people don't deserve it. And, but yet God extended grace to them. And three, we see the necessity of salvation. Man cannot be good enough. And Genesis illustrates this precisely. Man is sinful. He will always choose his own way. And you must be saved tonight if you haven't trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. You cannot get to God any other way. And ignoring the problem, putting it off, it will not make it any better. Man, I was there. I would put it off. God was dealing with my heart. Man, he was talking to me every service. He's like, Ben, Ben, you need to get saved. You know you're lost. You're sitting in church right now. The preacher's preaching. I'm dealing with you. I'm talking to you right now. Not audibly, but that Holy Spirit conviction inside your heart. God's showing you that you're lost and that you need to deal with that. And in my rebellion, I'm like, no, I, want, I don't want to do that right now. I don't want to talk to anybody about that. I'm too shy. I'm too embarrassed. You must deal with your sin as God is convicting you of it. Jesus said he, he's not coming to save those that are good. He says in Luke chapter 5 and verse 32, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And we've got to get to that place of thinking we're not good. We're, we are are good enough, we need to understand that we are a sinner. Once we come to that place, we need to come to Jesus Christ and repent. And finally tonight, as we look at the message of Genesis and we understand how the message of Genesis applies to each one of us, those of us who have believed the gospel, we we must understand tonight that the message of Genesis and the gospel must be shared. We have have a, a great responsibility to the gospel. We can't just know Genesis is true and boy feel good about that and say, well man, I know the right way and all these other poor people don't know the truth and they're all messed up in evolution and atheism and all these kinds of things. We must take the truth that we have and not just fill our heads up to be eggheads and know no more than everybody else. We must use that information. And and you know, think about this as, as we think about Genesis 
and the importance of it. If God didn't create the world in six days, then Adam wasn't created on the sixth day. And if Adam wasn't created on the sixth day, then Adam can't really literally be the real, a real person or the literal Adam. And without a literal Adam, these New Testament scriptures cannot be true and salvation can't be real. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 18 it says, Therefore, as the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 22 it says, For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. And in verse 45 it says, And so it is written, The first Adam was made a living soul, the last Adam was made a quickening spirit. Man, the New Testament thinks that Adam was literally real and literally created. In 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 13 it says, For Adam was first formed, then Eve. And that Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. And you know, if you think about this, if Adam wasn't real, then there couldn't have been original sin. And if there wasn't original sin, then there were no need for salvation. And if there's no need for salvation, then you wouldn't need a Savior. And, and without a Savior, there would be no reason for Jesus Christ to come, who we know is a historical figure, who we know literally died on the cross, who we know literally was died and was buried and rose again on the third day. We know these things happened. And we need to understand that understanding a six-day literal creation is essential to coming to Christ and salvation. We've got to know and we've got to believe and we've got to teach these things. And Genesis is an essential book to understanding the Bible. It explains man's origins, original sin, the promise of a Redeemer through Abraham's descendants. And without creation, we have no original Adam, no original sin, and no need of a real Redeemer. God... I've got a, got a quote here from a book. You know, God was, when he wrote this, when Moses wrote the book of Genesis, he said this, he's one of the children of Israel who were standing on the banks of the promised land and reading Moses' account of their forefathers to know and trust that only he could deliver the promised land into their hands. They had a mighty job ahead of them. They were trying to defeat the Canaanites. They had been steeped in the religion of the Egyptians. And God gave Moses this message. He gave them the book of Genesis. And Moses was retelling the story of how God created the heavens and the earth. How mankind had got um, where they had been. And the readers of Genesis today, though we're not standing on the banks of the uh, Jordan River getting ready to pass into the promised land, we can also understand that and see that those same promises and those wonderful things that God did back in the Old Testament and the incredible power that God has is the same faithful God that we have today, that we can place our faith and trust in, that we can trust with our destiny and with our eternity. And sharing this truth must become a part of our vocabulary. It isn't a side topic. It isn't something that should just come up sporadically or something that we just do on outreach. It needs to be woven into our conversation every single day. We need to be talking about God's grace and God's goodness to us and how Jesus Christ saved, saved us from our sins. And the more we work on interweaving that into the conversation, the more we can bring up Jesus, the more we can bring up how people um, can be saved. Um, people like to talk. And we're great at talking about everything under the sun. The weather, politics, all these kinds of things. But why don't we talk about God? 
Why don't we talk about salvation? Those are conversations that if we'll be willing to have, I believe we can. You know, we pray for God to open doors, but how many doors does God open up and we don't walk through them? Um, we need to be encouraged that we have the solution to the problem of sin and brokenness. Uh, we have that. People, people understand that there's sin and that there's brokenness out there. They're looking for answers, and we have the answers, and it is up to us to provide that solution. Um, and let's be encouraged tonight to share God's plan with a broken world. We have the, the message of Genesis. Is that really the message of the entire Bible? That God loves them, that God wants to save them, and He wants to have a relationship with them. And we have hope that we need to share with the lost and dying world. Let's all stand as we have a word of prayer this evening. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. Lord, we thank you for just the truth of Genesis. Just a simple, many simple stories, but yet the profound effect that they have. Lord, I, I thank you that you sent a Redeemer. Lord, I thank you that you sent your Son, Jesus Christ, so that we can have hope. We are lost. We are hopeless without you, and we need you. I, I pray that Christians tonight would understand that they need you every day to be the servants for you, to have victory over the flesh, over Satan, over the world. And Lord, I pray if there's someone here that hasn't trusted Christ as their Savior, that knows that they're not saved, that knows they need to place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I pray that they would be convicted of that need this evening and trust Jesus as their Savior. Just bless in the invitation time as the hymn is played. I pray that, that people that need to respond would come and respond to you this evening. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to have a hymn of invitation played. And this is your opportunity to respond as the Holy Spirit of God has, has dealt with you. Maybe you've got 